Mark chapter 9 this morning as we continue to work our way through the gospel of Mark. Chapters like this one have so much to preach on. As a pastor, I'm trying to sort through what to hit, but we're going to start at verse 43 tonight. We'll work our way back in the chapter. Look what it says, verse 43, if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never should be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and their fire is not quenched. If thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into hold the life than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never should be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. I know hell is not a popular subject. Most of our pulpits and churches today, Jesus Christ was a hellfire and brimstone preacher. I remember as a child often hearing messages on the subject of hell, but over the years, hell has become more and more absent from our language, our witness, and our pulpits. Now, if Christ preached on hell, I'm by no way going to avoid this subject. But I want you to put yourself in the spot of those who were listening to Christ as he said these words. If your hand offend you, cut it off. You're better off going into eternity without that hand than into hell with both hands. And he didn't stop there. That would be offensive enough. He said, into hell where the fire shall never be quenched. The worm dieth not. The fire is not quenched. Think about how he consistently repeats in this text, the fire is not quenched. He didn't stop with the hand, but he said, if your foot offend thee, if thine eye offend thee, Now, we do have to remember they did not have modern technology or laser surgery or even the pain medications of today. So when Christ stood up, can you imagine with what kind of knife and what kind of pain medication? Now, you say, Pastor, it's all symbolical. No, no, it was not symbolical. He said going to hell is so awful You need to do anything necessary to avoid the possibility of going to hell. And I know a lot of people have a lot of purposes in life. Most, for most, it's success, position, money, however they define success. I want to own that car. I want to live in that neighborhood. I want to have that kind of retirement account. I want to achieve that kind of position. Let me tell you, if you're sitting here today, your number one goal in life ought to be this. Avoid hell. That, that's it. Forget all of the goals until you attain this goal. Yes. I, I just don't want there to be any chance at all. No matter what happens in my life, I want there to be no chance at all that my eternity is spent in a lake of fire, fire that will never be quenched. Yes. And that's the thought that Christ was trying to put in the hearts of his listeners. Whatever you do, avoid hell. Now, I know there are religions that say that hell does not exist. The Jehovah's Witnesses will try to tell you that hell does not exist. Our Bible tells us there is a literal lake of fire that is eternal in its torments. There's no annihilation. I know 
Uh, Catholics will tell you there's a purgatory, an in-between spot for those who weren't good enough to make it to heaven where they can work uh, until they're able to make it into heaven. If that were so, everyone in this church that I know would end up in purgatory <laughs> at best, working their way, but it, it, it doesn't exist. Amen. Not in, in this Bible, we are guided by the Bible. Yes. There is heaven and there is hell, and Christ explained both. And he preached on both repeatedly, and so did the disciples, and so did the writers of any New Testament book. But Christ here, the final authority on all things that are eternal, said, don't let your hand, don't let your foot, don't let your eye, don't let anything on this planet lead you into hell. Don't let your pride, don't let your church, don't let your friend, don't let your mama, don't let your daddy, don't let your tradition. Don't let anything in this planet allow you to spend a moment in the lake of fire. Amen. Now, I've mentioned in the past, but I want to reread this morning the story of a hiker named Ralston that many are familiar with. A movie was made, a book was written about its life. But on April 26, 2003, Ralston was hiking through Blue John Canyon in eastern Wayne County, Utah. While descending a slot canyon, a suspended boulder from which he was climbing down became dislodged, crushing his right hand in the forearm and pinning it against the canyon wall. Now let me ask you this. Can you imagine being in this spot? You're alone. You're hiking. You fall. A boulder rests on your arm and there's no way to break free. Assuming that he would die, he spent five days slowly sipping a small amount of remaining water while trying to extricate his arm. I imagine the desperation would build every single day, losing hope that anyone would find him. After three days of trying to lift and break the boulder, the dehydrated and delirious Ralston prepared to amputate his trapped right arm at a point on the mid-forearm in order to escape. On the fourth day, he realized that in order to free his arm, he would have to cut through the bones in it, but the tools he had available were insufficient to do so. You say, Pastor, how gruesome is this going to get? Church, I cannot be clear enough when it comes to the matter of your soul in the lake of fire and eternity in hell because we have a story that very well illustrates what Christ is talking about. When he ran, of water, ran out of water on the fifth day, he carved his name, date of birth, and presumed date of death into the sandstone canyon wall, and he videotaped his last goodbyes to his family with his cell phone. After waking still alive at dawn the following day, he had an epiphany that he could break his radius and ulna bones using torque, the torque and weight of his body against his trapped arm. He did so and then finished performing the amputation with a small multi-tool knife, dull two-inch blade. It took him over an hour to perform the surgical procedure. After freeing himself, Ralston still had to get back to his car. He climbed out of a slot canyon in which he'd been trapped, rappelled down a 65-foot sheer wall one-handed, and hiked eight miles out of the canyon, having been trapped and without food and water, 
for five days. Now, let me tell you, there is no man here in his right mind that would even consider amputating his arm. But if you laid it in a canyon with no hope, knowing you were going to die under the weight of that boulder, unless you made a choice, life or my arm, and he made the wise choice. He said, I'll sacrifice my arm if it means seeing my family again, extending my life. Now, that sounds extreme, but Christ is extreme. And I want you, if you remember one service in your lifetime, I want you to remember this service because I want to free the blood off my hands this morning of every last person sitting in this auditorium. If you are here today, you have an eternal soul in a thousand years from now, 5,000 years from now, 10,000 years from now, you will continue to live in one of two places heaven or hell, and Christ was so serious about the subject, he said, don't let anything on this earth send you to hell. Don't let a mother, don't let a father, don't let the love of a child. You have to say everything within my body has to know there is a heaven or a hell and that Christ has done everything possible to offer me eternal life. That's why he gave us this book to make us aware that hell exists, aware that heaven exists. You say, Pastor, you're a little bit passionate. Yes, because everyone sitting here is one breath away. You literally could have a stroke, a heart attack, leave here, get in a car accident. I hope none of that happens, but you have no guarantee of tomorrow. There's not a single person sitting here that can write the date of their death in their Bible. You do not know when that may be tomorrow. And if you were wise at all, you would say, I'm not waiting a moment. I'm not waiting a second. Go with me to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. Look what it says in verse 10. The devil that deceived them. Anybody that goes to hell has been deceived by saying, deceived into believing that it does not exist. Deceived into believing the wrong way. Deceived into believing their works or deceived into some kind of false religion. But the, de- the devil is deceptive. He's cast in the lake of fire and brimstone. Where the beast and the false prophet are, they shall be what? Tormented day and night forever. And then he adds and ever. Our minds can't wrap. There's no way to wrap the mind around eternity. And think about forever and ever. Now, here's why Christ was so bold in his speech Because the description of hell and what hell is, a lake of fire, a furnace of fire, out of dark, outer darkness. Any description in the Bible, it ought to grip your heart and grip your soul and help you to understand there could be no worse torment. You say God is a God of love and mercy, yes, but man has disobeyed God, man has committed sin, and God is holy, and God is just, and God is righteous, and God cannot overlook sin, and sin has to be paid for. Hell was originally created for uh, the devil and his angels, but man has followed Satan in sinning and now too has the same destiny if he does not turn, repent, and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Look what it says in verse 15. Whosoever is not found, 
written in the book of life was what? Cast in the lake of fire. Man can deny it. Man can scoff at it. Today, hell is used as a casual uh, curse word. When man says you can go to hell, he has no concept of what hell is and the torment involved in the lake of fire. Now, this message, speaking of severing your arm or severing your eye in order to avoid hell, was actually preached there in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, uh, so clearly defined in Scripture. But we think of that as a pleasant message, but it started out with the subject of hell because Christ, his first concern is the soul of every man. Now, when you look at Scripture and you consider the separation to, to think, we, I don't want to walk you all the way through hell. I think most of you are familiar with hell. But there's so much the Bible says about it. The separation from all that is good. You know what motivates you to live another day? Although you struggle with health or other problems, you still have good, and that may be your ability to sleep or your mattress or your fridge is a motivation. Uh, you get to go to the store and buy some of the food you like. Your favorite chair, there are no chairs in hell. There are no stores in hell. There's no water faucet in hell. There's no cup that exists in hell for you to get a liquid in your mouth. The same uh, physical desires you have on earth, the Bible says you will have in hell. And none of those will ever be satisfied. You talk about fasting. Pastor, you mean missing a meal or a couple of days of meal? In hell, you will miss an eternity of meals. No food will ever again touch your lips. No light. I, how many of you enjoy the longer days? I don't like the shorter days of winter. I like the sun out till 9 o'clock at night. But I have friends that live in Alaska, and they'll tell you about the six weeks where you literally for six weeks don't see the sun. That has no appeal to me. Light is a pleasure. I want light. I, I like the light to be on, to, to go to a place where the light is never again turned on for all eternity. Your family's not there. I enjoy uh, traveling occasionally, now, although I enjoy it less and less, but I love coming back to the church and seeing familiar faces, being in a familiar place. Can you imagine for the rest of eternity never again seeing another face, another familiar face? In outer darkness. Hell will accept anyone and hath. All nations, all races. Men from every single country, from every walk of life. It's full of politicians, but it's also full of preachers. False prophets. Church members. Sunday school teachers. Song leaders. Pianists. Musicians. Hell doesn't care about your sex or race. You can be male, female, homosexual, bisexual, pansexual, whatever else you want to invent. Hell has it all. Here's what's sad. Hell has to enlarge itself. Here's what I believe the longer I see what is taking place around the world, the more I'm convinced the satanic nature of what is taking place in politics. 
Isaiah 14, 9 through 11 says, Hell from beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming. It stirreth up the dead for thee. Even all the chief ones of the earth, hell is full of important people. It hath raised up from their thrones all the kings of the nation to greet thee in hell. All they shall speak and say unto thee, Art thou also become weak as we? Hell swallows up the politicians in their pride that have rejected the gospel and say, Art thou become like unto us? Thy pomp is brought down to the grave and to the fire of hell. Hell is full of both good and bad. Now, go with me to Matthew chapter 11. Say, Pastor, are you trying to scare me into heaven? No, that doesn't work. But I want you to know what the Bible says about the subject. Matthew 11, verse 23. Thou, Capernaum, which art exalted into heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it should be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee, and I believe... The same could be said in the United States of America because Sodom had no Bible, Sodom had no preachers, Sodom had no Christian schools, Sodom had no Bible conference, no Christian radio, Sodom had no preachers on TV giving out the gospel, and America has had all of the above. If you miss the gospel in the United States of America, it's because you chose to reject the gospel. Between passing by Churches on every corner, tracks being passed out, Christian radio, Christian TV, eh, internet, in a million other ways that are getting the gospel across the United States of America. If someone in this country dies without Christ and goes to hell, there was a rejection of the truth and an embracing uh, of the lie of the devil. Now here's, to me, the greatest tragedy of hell. When we read in our text, go back with me to Mark 9. If thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter the life maimed than having two hands to go into hell into the fire. This shall never be quenched where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. I remember... 911. We were in Mexico. That morning I had gotten up, gone online to read the news, and the first thing that came onto the screen was the message that one of those twin towers had been hit. America was under attack. We turned on the TV and we began to watch the news, and like so many sitting here, we watched this second plane flew into the second tower. But during that time, they were showing those buildings, and many of you saw the figures as they jumped out of the windows 70, 80, 90 floors above to their death because in their minds they thought if we jump out the window, we avoid the flames, not knowing they were jumping from the fire of that building into the very fires of hell, fire that would not and will not be quenched. 20 years later, those that died without Christ are still trapped in the eternal torment 
a fire that shall never be quenched. Their worm dieth not. Many have debated what does that mean. I personally believe it speaks of a conscience. But whether or not this specific text speaks of a conscience, the Bible reveals that in hell there is a clear memory of what happened on earth and the opportunities that took place on the earth. And the Bible tells us a story in Luke 16 of a rich man that died and so carelessly misspent his life in the pursuit of money and good and luxury and ease, not caring for his soul. And one day he suddenly grasped his chest and felt the light leaving from his body. He didn't have time at that moment to trust Christ as his Savior. He awakens in the utter darkness of hell. He didn't cry for an escape because it didn't take long for him to understand this is forever. The fire will not be quenched. So his first request was a drop. Can I just get a drop of water? The answer was no. And then the word from heaven was this. Son, remember in your life, you had Lazarus at your gate. I believe the worst torment of hell is going all of eternity Can you imagine in hell a man's there burning in outer darkness? Suffering, the screams are intense. The fire, every inch of his body is on fire. He cannot cannot decipher in his mind if it's been years or days or months at this point. He can't measure time. He just knows it's already felt like forever. And suddenly he wakes up in church. He wakes up in Capital City Baptist Church. He's on the same row. He remember going with his family. He said, oh. He reaches over. He puts his hand on his wife's lap and he says, Honey, I had such a horrible dream. I dreamed that I was in hell. And there he sits in the service and the preacher preaches the gospel. And he said, I remember last time I sat in here, I heard the gospel, but I was too proud to walk the aisle. I didn't want anyone to talk to me. I didn't want anyone to see me. I I said, I'll be okay. I'm a decent person. God's not going to send me to hell. And when the invitation came, I said, no, I'm just going to stay put. No no one's going to talk to me. No one's going to make me stand. No one's going to embarrass me for the sake of the gospel. I'm hanging on to my pride even if it costs me hell. Babe, I sat right here, and that was my thought, but not today. I'm walking the aisle today. That whole nightmare I had of hell, it was too real. I'm making sure the torment was too extreme, the fire was too hot, the darkness was too intense, the screams were too piercing. Today I'm walking the aisle, and the invitation comes, and the piano plays, and he stands up and begins walking towards the front, and he gets down to the front, and he reaches out his hand to the pastor to say, Pastor, today I want to be born again, and suddenly the lights go out. And he's back in hell. The memory is so real. And he's screaming again. He said, I thought I had a chance. There's no second chance in hell. The worst part is anybody here that chooses to reject the free salvation by grace through faith without works and dies and goes to hell you'll remember every song of this service. You'll remember every verse. You'll remember the color of my tie. You'll be able to redraw in your mind the pulpit and the flowers. You'll remember there were two screens and they said prayer and fasting. And I thought, what in the world? 
who knows if a day passes or five day passes. And suddenly he finds himself back outside of hell and he's sitting in his living room and the doorbell rings. And there's one of those pesky members of Capital City. He says, honey, oh, it was so terrible. It was so awful. I know this member, and I don't even like that those people come by unannounced. But today I'm going to give my heart and life to Jesus. Oh, the dreams that I've had of hell are so horrific. And that church member comes in with the Bible. He says, you know what? I don't even want you to invite me to church. I don't want you to tell me about the revival. I don't want you to give me a track. I just want to go and get saved right now. You don't have to go through Romans. You don't have to go through John. You don't, you don't have to tell me about salvation. Just let's pray right now and get born again. And he opens up that Bible and he gets down on his knees. He begins to crowd to God and suddenly the lights go out. And he finds himself back in hell. Say, Pastor, what are you trying to do this morning to get you to wake up to the reality? Yes. Because Christ was so, so sincere. He said, grab a piece of metal, and cut your hand off if that's keeping you out of heaven. For some, it's pride. You can't cut off your pride. I, everyone already thinks I'm saved, and I, I just don't want people to notice me, and I don't want to have to find someone else. And I, I, I don't want someone else to have to open up the Bible. The best day of your life is when you find someone else to open up the Bible and take me through the Scripture. Yes. Satan wants to keep complicating salvation. How many after you got saved said, why did I keep complicating it? It's not a process. It's not something that takes weeks. It's not humiliation. It's the humbling of the heart that says, I'm willing to admit that Christ is the only way, and I've got to cry out for mercy. How Satan complicates such a simple matter and yet leads millions, not millions, billions into hell. Billions. And how many of those sat in church pews and held Bibles and you might be surprised for those of you uh, trusting in religion how full hell is of priests, monks, preachers, people that knocked on the door and talked about Jehovah God, people that held thousands of watchtowers in their backpacks, Baptists, musicians, and preachers, and assistants, and Methodists, and Lutheran, because no religion ever saved anyone. If you went to heaven and just started doing interviews, can you imagine how shocked you'd be? Uh, so, sir, kind of, sir, let me talk to you for a minute. So you, you look like you were born and raised in a Christian home. You knew the gospel at an early age. Baptized, faithful to church? No. Did, did you go to church? No. Never went to church a day in my life. Well, when did you get baptized? I didn't. Well, what about your Bible reading time? I, I, I didn't get to do that either. I never held a Bible, never had a Bible, never read a Bible. Well, what in the world are you doing here? There must be some kind of mistake. Oh, no, there was no mistake. I was a thief. All I had my whole life was a messed up family. That's all I had. Matter of fact, my stealing got so bad that it reached a point. One day I went to go steal and someone resisted and I killed him. As a result, they decided, the Romans decided to crucify me. There were three of us. And then this guy, they kept calling the Son of God. And I just cried out and said, remember me. Amen. 
Next thing you know, I'm in heaven. That was it. I mean, I wasn't a Lutheran. I wasn't baptized by anybody or for anybody. Never met John the Baptist. That was my first encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. Guess what you did? If you were to go to hell today and take interviews, you'd find people that are born and raised in church. Mom and dad put a Bible in their lap when they were three years old. But they assimilated. Grew up in the environment. Got used to the environment. And at some point when the Holy Spirit of God brought conviction to their heart and soul, they had to make a choice, and their choice was, I'm not going to make that step. Everyone else already thinks that I'm fine. You better cut off that pride this morning. You better cut off. Look what it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Who goes to hell? 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 8. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of His power. How did they get there? They obeyed not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about the gospel of the Methodists or the gospel of the Presbyterians or the gospel of the Mormons. I'm talking about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Your name is written forever in the book of life. Forgiveness has come directly from God himself. You have been redeemed and made righteous. Everyone in here has a past. You know what differentiates uh, someone that's hell bound and someone that's heaven bound? Someone that has cried out to God for mercy and received his righteousness. Given up hopes of his own good works understood that for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift, a free gift. I remember when you ran down to an altar and said, I want that gift. I'm so thankful for the day I responded to the gospel. And my dad, my mom took that Bible, they opened it up, they showed me the love of the Lord Jesus Christ that I could get born again. Kneeling there beside my bed, I cried out to God for mercy. I don't remember what I said, but here's what I remember what I did. I cried out and said, I'm a sinner, deserving of hell, headed for hell, but I'm not wanting to go there. I'm wanting mercy. I'm hoping for salvation. I'm asking you to save me, forgive me. And he did. And here's what happened. So many sitting in churches today are going to risk their soul out of pride. It says, I'm too big for that. I don't know if I believe that. I think I'll wait till tomorrow. Hell's full of that. And here's what's sad. Where the fire is not quenched in the worm, dieth not. The fire is horrific. The darkness is overwhelming. The screams will never give you a moment of rest. But the worst part of all is going back to a Sunday in September 2022. Probably not the first time you've heard the gospel, probably not the last time you've heard the gospel. 
but a Sunday that made you make a choice. I'm going to stay this way, or I'm going to admit my condition and run to Jesus Christ and ask him to save me. If you reject the gospel and die without Jesus Christ, I promise you this, you'll remember the person that invited you, you'll remember the person you were sitting next to, you remember the very clothes that you wore. Your memory, here's what happens, the bitterness of hell in your life, everyone sitting here has memories that go back 20 or 30 years if you've lived that long. And that memory is based on an emotion usually called anger, joy, or bitterness. And when that happens, that memory, while all other memories are hard to sort through, that memory is so stark, you remember the smells of that day, the sounds and the sights. And the bitterness of hell will be so great, you'll say, that croaky sounding preacher with a bright red tie. He's back behind the pulpit. And then you're reawakened to the reality that I didn't respond to the gospel. Today is not your first chance to respond to the gospel. Today was not your second chance to respond to the gospel. But today might be your last chance. Today you have the opportunity to get up and say, Forget the shame of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what the Bible says in John 10. He that will be ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of him in my coming. I can't imagine standing before God and him being ashamed of me and saying, depart from me, I never knew you. And into the, the endless lake of faces, billions, billions that have rejected the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what you can do today. You can humble yourself and say, the gospel is so easy. I'm not missing it today. I, I need someone to take, take a Bible, take me through the gospel. I want today the opportunity to give my heart and life to Jesus Christ. How, do you, how many of you remember that day you responded to the gospel? Anybody here remember the conviction? How many remember it dawned on you you were headed for hell? I believe you're only close to salvation when it dawns on you how close you are to hell. Oh, that day that I came to salvation, there came a clear understanding, although born and raised in a Christian home with a dad that was a preacher, I was headed to the lake of fire. And here's what I wanted. My sins washed away. I want to be justified because look what it says in Revelation 20. We're done. Revelation 20. Let's go back to where we were. Verse 11. You get a chance today to obey the gospel. Revelation 20, 11, I saw a great white throne, him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. I saw the dead. There they stand. Billions, small and great, they stand before God. The books were open. Those are the books that contain the story of your life. And then the book of life was opened. The dead were judged out of those things written in the books according to their works. Here's what I believed. I have often taught and believed that for the sinner, what a damning day to think that sin is going to be revealed. The lies, the deceit, the lust, the adultery, the fornication, the pornography, the anger, the bitterness, the hate, all revealed in a single setting. 
I don't think that's the worst moment of the judgment for the individual. I think every day that you heard the gospel and rejected it, those are the worst moments of the judgment. And as the days you were there Sunday morning, your relative opened up the Bible and tried to speak to you and you shut it down. You came across that Christian radio station and someone was preaching the gospel, you turned it off. That track was left on your door and you threw it in the garbage. Your wife tried to tell you. Your father repeatedly witnessed to you. Your son tried to introduce you to the Lord Jesus Christ. Your grandma prayed for you. I believe the worst part of the judgment for those that stand before God and every chance they had to respond was revealed. And God said, you had the opportunity, you had the invitation. You could have been justified. Your sin could have been forgiven if salvation was offered. All you had to do was take one step beyond your pride and say, I want to get saved today. Let's all say that word together. Today. 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 The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today. The sea gave up the dead, verse 13. Death and hell delivered up the dead. Every man was judged according to his works. And what happened? Death and hell were cast into the lake of fire, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life. Until you fall on your face before God, cry out for mercy, and stop trusting in your works and asking Him for salvation, you are left in your own unrighteousness when Christ is offering you His perfect righteousness, which means you'll be cast into the lake of fire. Let me ask you this this morning. Whatever's tying you to your seat, cut it off. You say, my mate is right here. I've seen husbands hold their wives back. Six years ago in the Spanish church when we were smaller, there was a couple right here and there was a message preached on hell. They were sitting right over here. And I, I remember that when that woman went to go respond, the husband grabbed her arm and held her in her seat. That was the last time they came to church. I don't know where they're at. They've ever trusted Christ as their Savior. And I know this, if they awaken in hell, bitterness of knowing I didn't overcome whatever obstacle was there to keep me out of heaven. I didn't overcome that. Now, here's what you need to do this morning. Jump over that obstacle. You need to with boldness stand and say, Preacher, I'm going to be down here. Pastor Mark's going to be down here. We're going to have people in the back. You can go to the front or the back. You can find your neighbor. I don't care who you find. We'd like to take a Bible, take you to a private room, show you through the Word of God how you can get saved today. You can pray today. Put your faith and trust the Lord Jesus Christ today. Repent of your sins today. You can change your destiny today. I don't care if you're a young person that grew up in this church or a person that's grown up in another church or if you're someone that doesn't even go to church. It doesn't matter. What matters is you run beyond the obstacle and say, today, 